Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. Today, I am recording on a an iPhone, the introduction at least. I'll get to that in a moment to explain why. But in the meantime, let me just tell you that there is a, a webinar coming up that you should be aware of. That is a webinar on American Homeowner Preservation. It's Tuesday the 19th at 5 p.m. Central. American Homeowner Preservation is George Newberry's group. Basically what they do is buy failing mortgages at pennies on the dollar with investor money, turn around, and then instead of kicking people out of their home, they they do a rent-to-own with the owners and for a significant profit. So everybody wins. Uh, and the investors get a 12% return. Uh, I've been investing in this for years. It's a great opportunity, and George has a, um, a uh, big acquisition that they're looking at, and I, I want to make sure that if you're interested, uh, definitely go to wealthformula.com and click on uh, the American Homeowner Preservation AHP webinar link and sign up for that because uh, you can learn uh, all about it and ask questions as well. Again, go to uh, wealthformula.com and do that. While you're there, make sure you also grab a copy of Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, which is a PDF book there sitting there. Uh, you know, it's uh, actually a bestseller on Amazon, but is there for you to simply download for your reading pleasure. That's my best-selling book on Amazon. You can also simply get that by texting 44222 and typing in Wealth Formula, one word. 44222 Wealth Formula, get that book and you will be all set. So with that said, uh, let's go back to why this uh, recording kind of is uh, doesn't sound so good. I mean, the rest of the podcast will, so don't worry, it's the intro and outro. So, you know, the reason is that I'm actually kind of a refugee right now from the uh, Thomas fires uh, that, uh, that were in Ventura County. They started creeping towards my uh, my town here, Montecito, California, which is just south of Santa Barbara. And so that's why my audio sucks. Uh, I'm on the road. I'm, I'm fleeing. Uh, as I mentioned on last week's show, uh, I had woken up and there was ash on my deck and the smoke detector was going off without any apparent fire. Uh, and it was clearly getting worse. So my wife and I made the decision at that point. We weren't uh, asked to evacuate, but we decided... You know, this isn't going to get better anytime soon. The air is already lousy. Let's, you know, let's go up to San Luis Obispo, which is about 100 miles north. So we stayed there for a couple days, which is fine. And the next thing you know, we look over the mountains and the smoke is 
following us. So we got back in the car with the kids uh, and threw them in the car, and we drove up to my wife's, um, where she grew up, was Santa Cruz, California. Um, you know, we didn't really anticipate being uh, gone for this long. We thought it was just going to be a couple days, but we're still gone here. We're going to be here for a week. The whole thing was pretty stressful, honestly. I mean, uh, you know, it didn't seem like it would be that big of a deal just being out. But, uh, you know, we were stressed out. The kids uh, could feel that we were stressed out. So they got scared and emotional. So the whole thing has kind of been a little rough. Um, you know, but the funny thing is in the midst of this, I started thinking to myself, well, listen, I'm feeling sorry for myself. Uh, imagine what it would be like if, you know, I was... Uh, I was fleeing uh, a country and somebody was shooting missiles at me while I was fleeing and I had my kids with me there and, uh, you know, my government was trying to kill me. And that's basically what's going on in Syria, right? It's kind of crazy and, you know, it's not about getting political. I mean, you just got to feel bad for those kids uh, and those families in that situation. You know, and then it makes me start wondering, like, how does a ki that kind of perspective you know, affect a five-year-old boy, for example, you know, what if he sees horrible things and, you know, sees and feels, sees the stuff and feels hopeless every day. Now, I'm not trying to get super deep here because, of course, I'm talking about financially what happens to this person. How does this manifest this person in adulthood? Of course, um, again, since this show's about money, I'm thinking, how does this affect a kid in, in terms of his what the way he thinks about money and wealth and, and, and poverty when he grows up, right? So, you know, if you, if you for example, if you grow up not knowing uh, that there will be food to eat or, you know, if you have a roof over your head or if you're dodging bullets or whatever, how does that influence your view, you know, uh, of everything when you get older? I mean, I don't think there's one answer to that question. But I will tell you this. My dad grew up in uh, in India, dirt poor, and... That's really poor, man. I mean, it's third world poor. That's totally different than even in the U.S. But he got by by tutoring kids in the neighborhood, uh, you know, in his neighborhood as a kid. And that helped put food on the table. And uh, he ended up coming to the U.S. in the 1960s on a scholarship, engineering scholarship. Of course, he never looked back at that point. He actually ended up seeing all sorts of opportunities that I even know existed, right? I mean... He was like a kid in a candy store, and I can tell you that I truly believe that his experience as a kid really working to survive without safety net served him well as a scrappy real estate entrepreneur who ultimately, you know, he just was, uh, he was living the American dream. But what about the rest of us? How can we tap into that inner immigrant? It's hard. I mean, even me, I'm the son of immigrants, but man, I, I am totally first world I mean, I grew up uh, upper middle class and, you know, went to prep school, fancy schools. Uh, I had my bills paid. I mean, in order to get your inner immigrant out, you have to imagine a world without structure, the structure that we're so accustomed to having. You have to imagine a world where simple things like clean water, roof over your heads, and people not trying to kill you are not guarantees. But, you know, and if you do this, the world seems a lot more scary, right? I mean, maybe a little bit of that perspective is actually healthy. Uh, after all, most of the security we feel is, in fact, artificial. Let me give you an example. You know, we talk about 
job security, right? That's why a lot of people don't want to become entrepreneurs because of job security. You know what? There is no such thing as job security. If you're, uh, if you know, if you work for someone else, you're at the mercy of your company's financial performance and what somebody thinks of you. Just because you don't get to see the company's financials or get to be in on the board meetings doesn't mean they don't exist. And if you're the boss and you own the business, I mean, that's my position generally, you know even better that there is no such thing as job security because you have been confronted with the prospect of letting people go in the past and because you see your own financials go up and down and you know it's not always stable. That's all artificial. Paycheck coming in that's the same every couple weeks, that's artificial. That's not reality. You see, the reality is that behind our facade of a secure world, there is an underbelly of reality that we really should be cognizant of and for which, at the very least, we should be somewhat prepared. Um, you know, the major difference between immigrants fleeing hardship and most of us living comfortably in this country, including myself, frankly, I'm not saying I'm any better or, or I have a better vision of the world, is that immigrants uh, who are fleeing to this country a lot of times, they, they see the world without its makeup on, right? They, they see this world uh, without social nets. And when the world, when you look at the world without its makeup on, it ain't pretty. Anyway, that's a long, uh, long rant to simply tell you that today my guest, uh, you know, she didn't grow up in a war-torn country, but she did grow up homeless in this country, which is actually pretty similar to uh, sort of an Im immigrant experience. So it'll be interesting for you, I'm sure, to hear that perspective from a very successful person by the name of Gina Lofton, who we'll, we will talk to when we come back. And she has just started another show called Accredited to Accredited. Uh, so when we come back, Gina Lofton. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest is Gina Lofton. Gina is uh, an ex-high-paid professional, just like me, uh, mm -hmm. who, like me, considers herself now a professional investor. And um, since 2012, Gina's built a pretty significant real estate portfolio with ownership uh, uh, in uh, over 4,000 apartment units uh, in four states. She's uh, also a resort property uh, owner in Ambergas Key, Belize, which I'm assuming, unless I'm wrong, is a similar property that uh, I'm an owner in. And outside of real estate, she's also an active investor across a number of other assets, such as assisted living facilities, oil and gas, junior mining, 
natural resources, a bunch of things like that, uh, just to name a few. Uh, She is also the author of Escape the Madness, The Ten Steps to Get Out of the Rat Race, and now the host of a new show called Accredited to Accredited. Gina, thanks for being on Wealth Formula Podcast today. No, thank you, Buck. This is um, this is great. I'm I'm really happy to be here and uh, share whatever I can with all of your listeners. Yeah, you know, we we met at the, a junior mining conference there in uh, San Francisco, which I uh, I was at. Uh, my sister lives in San Francisco, so it worked out pretty well. I just went to the conference for a couple of days and. There and got got to meet you. We've sort of been in similar paths and actually have very similar sort of I think ideals. And I thought it'd be just great to get you on and and kind of talk about it. And you have a great story. And I don't know it all, but I know bits and pieces just from what I've read. I'm wondering if you can kind of give us a little bit of a background and who you are and you know where you came from and 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 you know how you got to where you are now. Yeah, no, that's that's a good place to start just at the beginning, and um, I'll just be as brief as I can. But um, I was uh, raised, born and raised here in Southern California in an area called Inglewood, as a matter of fact, um, which is about, I don't know, five miles um, from the LAX, the major airport here. And my parents were unable to take care of any of their kids, um, not because of drugs or anything like that. They just were not financially um, able to do that. So as a result, we lived on the streets and we were taken into foster care. So I was raised in foster homes and um, ran away from the foster homes, dropped out of high school and was a really bad kid and did eventually go back to high school and finished. Um, And then went and got my degree and have gotten uh, an MBA and, you know, just did what I was actually thought I needed to do, which was to work and uh, kind of get a job and go to school and do it that that way. And I did it. I, you know, I had a, an amazing, um, I'm kind of like going really fast, obviously, because this is, you know, 30. It's your whole life. I'm saying, hey, can you tell me a little bit about your whole life? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, needless to say, I wasn't, like, raised with that silver spoon. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's... That's what I was getting at. You have an interesting story. Not not many people in your position start out, you know, um, I being homeless. Was never uh, like the Huxtable. There was a show called The Cosby's. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm old enough for that one. Come on now. Name on there was the Huxtables. <laughs> and I, do you remember the show? Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I remember, you know, during you know, like years ago, I would never really tell people about my background. Because I worked in some very, really, what I thought was, uh, and still is, you know, very well-to-do firms, such as Ernst & Young, and um, was on that path to be partner and all of this good stuff. And I thought, I was kind of embarrassed about who I was. And then I said, you know what, I want to, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I said, I, I'm, I'm kind of proud of that I didn't grow up like that, like other people, right? Right. Um, right. And um, so, yeah, so that's my background. I, I was not, I had no kind of guidance. The, my career aspirations from my foster parents were to um, maybe go to a trade school, be that Mount Sac, and put resistors on a circuit board, literally. Yeah. That was my guidance. Um, that was the aspirations that they had for me. And um, because I didn't have anyone to give me guidance, 
it may have taken me a little bit longer to figure stuff out. Um, but I'm glad that I did. And I'm a lot younger than most. <laughs> so, you know, obviously that, uh, you know, it's a story that I think, um, it's uh, it's not uncommon in the world. It's uncommon for people who are often as, as successful as you are. I have to ask you this question because I think it's important. When you look back, you mentioned, you sort of alluded to the idea that you had to figure it out, right? Because no one was guiding you. Yeah. But do you yeah. think that your story, the way you describe it now, does that, do you think in the long run it helped you or hurt you? to become who you are or guide you where you are now? Buck, you know, that is such a great question. Um, and let me say this, it's helped me tremendously. That's what I thought. Yeah. I would never, ever, ever want it to be any other way. Yeah. Especially when I see the people that didn't have it bad, are like what people would call bad, like I did. It's just, um, you know, it. They're not very, usually they're not very resilient. Um, and it's, it's just, they're, they're not, they're very different. Yeah. Well, and beyond that, you know, what I think is interesting is when you have a more stable environment, or maybe you have more money when you're growing up and maybe you don't think about money, at least in our country, the default at that point becomes, you know, going to school, getting a high paid job and, um, and, you know, invest for the long run in a portfolio of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds through your wealth advisor. But sometimes when you when you have everything that seems to work out, you just follow conventional wisdom because it hasn't failed you in the past, right? And um, Exactly. And so sometimes it's, it's actually an advantage to not have everything in place. And I think certainly – my situation was probably a little bit more conventional, but, you know, I am the child of immigrants, which certainly helps uh, because it brings a different perspective to my life. My dad turned out to become an entrepreneur despite being a professional, and having that different perspective was huge for me. And I would imagine, and when I look around me, I look at all these, um, you know, my, my professional colleagues who are really successful but have a really hard time with a notion of, thinking about their investments and doing anything that's not conventional wisdom. For people sometimes like you or like maybe my father or, you know, to a certain extent uh, by, by my virtue of my father, me, it's easier to make that move into the un unconventional. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I mean, I do. I guess my um, only kind of um, add to that is for me it was – I must be able to depend on myself, right, mm -hmm. financially. And because of my upbringing, it, for my, my, fear, my fear was so high to let someone else, be that an employer, be that a husband, be that a government or anything, um, you know, have so much power over whether or not I had a roof over my head, right? Right. Like that, that. For me, because I was homeless, was extremely, extremely scary. Right? Yeah. Even to this day. So, um, you know, I don't know if that helps. No, it does help. And in, in fact, that is very similar to kind of what I'm getting at because my dad is in, uh, my parents are immigrants and uh, my dad grew up poor in India. So, you know, they didn't have enough to eat a lot of times, things like that. 
which yeah. to me is completely foreign, right? But right. I see this guy, and this is a classic immigrant story, and your story is almost like a little bit of an immigrant story, yeah. you know, because cool. you're because you're because effectively you are not used to having all of these so you know these uh, guardrails in place that that yes. protect you. You know, right. you're not walking a a, a tightrope with the net underneath you. There's no net there. And, right. and for most of us, when we grow up, we have a net. And the way we approach life is different. It you know? is. Very so. much so. Very, very much so. Um, yeah, it's, it is. It is. It's psychological. And I wish there was, you know, some type of our, I, maybe there are some studies out there in the medical field about, you know, how this works and why, why is this? Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't have that expertise, but it would be a very interesting yeah. study. Well, I think there are some studies on immigrants for sure that they that they that they show that immigrants tend to be more entrepreneurial, et cetera. But, you know, but these are the same people who are, you know, coming across the world and leaving their families. So, you know, it's you know, the, they sort of you pick these people out, too. They're people who have got a little bit of more. Uh, instinct to do something different anyway but anyway yeah so that's 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 a great uh great insight though from you i i think that it you know sometimes the things that make us different make our lives um less conventional and harder actually will make us uh more successful in the long run um yeah and what i just before we transition to another um um topic just to conclude here is that I, in addition, you know, to having that upbringing, I also have lived outside of the U.S. And so that also kind of made me see things very differently, right? And where sometimes I see people that are Americans that have always lived here and some of them have never left. It's difficult for them because of that safety net component um, that you're talking about. Yeah. You know, one perspective on that uh, was, you know, we, we both know Robert Kiyosaki and Robert, um, I remember talking to him last April and he was telling, you know, he's, he, he, Vietnam had a profound effect on him, as you know. And um, yeah, one of the things, you know, Robert these days is uh, very, I think he's definitely concerned about what's happening in the world and the economy. And you know, I don't remember how it came up, but somebody was asking him what, you know, why he was so worried. And his answer was basically, have you ever seen what people do when they don't have enough to eat and when they cannot feed mm -hmm. their children, what they're mm -hmm. willing to do, right? So that's a different yeah. perspective. No, we don't really see that so much. I mean, to a certain extent, it's, you know, but in, and sometimes he's talking about Vietnam and people like, basically getting so desperate that they'll kill their neighbors so that they can feed their children, right? I mean, so that, yep. right, so that kind of thing. And I don't mean it in that extremes, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's a different world. And when you see things differently, you know, sometimes you'll take different risks. Sometimes you'll you'll have a little bit more drive, <laughs> you know, to, to make right. sure that you yeah. don't end up in that position. So let let let's shift a little bit because now you are obviously a you know very successful investor. Um, let's talk a little bit about your investing and in your strategy and what what that. How do you approach investing? Yeah, no, that's a really good question, and um, I have this philosophy that I must 
be able to maximize my returns in the most um, efficient um, way possible in the shortest amount of time with the least amount of risk. Um, so what that means is, I will just say it like this, when I send a dollar out the door in the morning, I need it to be coming back by lunch and it's coming back with as many friends as possible. The friends stay here and then the <laughs> other ones leave <laughs> after lunch uh -huh. and then they're back at dinner. It's always a round trip ticket, right? Right. And that round trip ticket must be quick, short trips, right? Velocity. The velocity. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. The velocity. I'm all about the velocity. Yep. And the reason why, you know, it's a very methodical reason that I am this way is because I'm an economist to, you know, I have an MBA in, in economics and I'm a student of monetary policy and I understand money very, very well, is that the value of your currency is declining tremendously. And so if you're not a really good at understanding this, you will never be able to keep your standard of living the same. So if you understand that their middle class is shrinking, it's becoming extinct and at a very rapid pace, and it will continue to do so. And it's because of, you know, uh, inflation as well as taxes, right? Mm -hmm. So to counteract those forces, um, I use something that's called debt and velocity as well as tax efficiency, a combination of all three to make sure that that return trip for the, the, the dollar that went out comes back quickly. And so that's my philosophy. Yeah. I know that's, um, <laughs> you know, a lot. Well, it's, um, it's not actually because to the extent that that's sort of the mantra of my show in the wealth formula, uh, what I talk about and sort of hit on the show very frequently so wealth formula, there's a there's uh, there's several components to it. There's a mathematical sort of um, approach or mathematical equation for wealth, and um, you know wealth creating momentum in wealth. I I say momentum in Newtonian physics is equal to mass times velocity. Mass being how much money you put in, and velocity being how quickly you turn it over. And then if you remember. In math class, you put a little parentheses around that. If you want to move even quicker, you multiply that by leverage. And so these are not foreign things to this show. You're preaching to the choir, my dear. This is a perfect show for you. Uh, so, oh, <laughs> so, yeah, so we're all about velocity and leverage. And as you know, uh, velocity is uh, the thing, um, the best way to think about velocity. It's the thing that wealth advisors pretend the stock market creates for you. And they call it the magic of compounding interest. But basically what it is, is taking your investments and your returns, reinvesting uh, all of that together, and then doing the same thing over and over again, effectively returning capital, adding, you know, adding to your principal, and then reinvesting it. So, so that's yeah. velocity. Leverage is using other people's money. Banks, other people, if you're raising capital, it's using other people's money. So, so that's effectively it. So... Yeah. In and real so estate, we do that frequently. Tell 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 us, and and I think that my audience here is is quite used to that concept. But outside of real estate, give us some examples of how you do it outside of real estate. Well, 
Okay, I'll, I'll do real estate too because I don't know if people really understand the example I just gave with the dollar going out just in the morning. But sure. in real estate, I only do value added real estate and I know everyone has a very different definition of that. I have a very specific definition and that means that I must get all of my money back as soon as possible, but keep the asset. Right. It's extremely, extremely clear. Right. That's all I do. So that means my returns are infinite. I do not sell the asset. So um, that's the only type of investing I do, um, mm -hmm. which is, of course, correlates to what I just said earlier about the guy, the money leaving and then it coming back and then going back out again, but some stays. So I like to um, get very wealthy, but recycle the same with the same dollar, yeah. right? Yeah. So for example, when I, you know, do a, a building of any kind, um, it must actually be able to get all of the money back or more, or, you know, as close to it as soon as I buy it. And I want the cash flow from that asset to stay with me in perpetuity. So therefore my returns are infinite. So that's the only type of real estate I do. I don't do anything else other than that. And I actually don't do any investing other than that real estate or, or otherwise it must it must do that right whatever it is so let me give you an example that's not real estate right let so me let me let me stop you for a second because i just want to make sure the audience is understanding what you said but effectively we've we've talked about this uh, this type of strategy before i mean in the context of we've had ken mcelroy on the show this is a classic ken mcelroy uh maneuver right where you have a, a building that you know he he purchases um, with investor money, say it's a you know ten, say it's a twenty million dollar asset. They put up uh, you know uh, let's say five million dollars of equity uh, from investors. They include the improvements to the property. They know that they can manage it well and make the uh, property perform better. And then what uh, once once it's stabilized and once it is producing more uh, more income, then it's inherently worth more. That's just the way that real estate works when you're outside of the you know, residential one to four units. The value of a property is based entirely on how much income it's producing. So if, you're, if you increase that income significantly, you can go back to the bank and say, hey, my property's worth a lot more, I wanna refinance. You know, refinance and then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you're giving, you're giving um, Gina back her money that she initially invested, but she still has ownership in the same cut, she still has equity, so she's still getting cash flow, and that becomes infinite return on investment. Anyway, presume that's what you're talking about, but I just want to make sure that that's clear. Take it as a little teaching moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Kenny's one of my partners, so um, that's exactly how it works. Right. And um, you know, for me, it's a very simple. It was a, when you have no money, it, the math the math is like real, really simple. So if you need $100,000 of income coming in passively to get out of the rat race, right? You need a million dollars earning 10%. Are we in agreement so far? Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is how it really just became clear and really drove my investment philosophy. And I talk about this in my book is that your investment philosophy drives you into doing certain things. Well, because I had no money and I knew that I needed that $100,000 a year of passive income, then I had I didn't have a million dollars, I didn't have 10%. So the only answer that I knew 
was that I must print money. Well, how do I do that? I must do value added real estate, right? Right. So it was an, you know, I had to take my goal and then actually derive what the route to the goal was to achieve it in the most expedient fashion. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. So that led me to only doing one thing and that's all I do. So, and, and the re there, but it's not just about what, you know, why I do it. You have to understand that when Obama went into the office, it was $10 trillion of debt, right? In the U S and that's not including the unfunded liability, social security, Medicare, et cetera, et cetera. By the time Trump took office, there was $20 trillion of debt on January 20th, 2017. So in fact, they doubled the actual total debt. So if you're not growing your wealth proportionately in that in that time frame, you are already behind. And so I would actually kind of um, you know, suggest to your listeners that Trump's got to go from 20 to 40 in half the time. So the sooner people understand this, the better chance they have of keeping their standard of living either the same or if not growing because either of any other way you're going to go down right i mean it's for me it's very simple it's like if there's three classes upper middle and lower and one goes away then you decide which one you want to be in because middle is gone yeah so if you want to be in higher you have to be very proficient at understanding debt and taxes and the velocity of money. And well, so that's what I love. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we're in agreement there. Right now, um, you know, I, as a real estate investor myself, I'm looking around. Boy, it is tight, Gina. So tell me how you're investing. Are, I mean, there's not a lot even in the value-add uh, space right now out there. So are you finding things or are you, have you shifted to other uh, investment classes? Mm-hmm. What are you focused on these days? I am actually, so yes, yeah, so let's just back up. So I only go and do things when things are on sale. I am a contrarian investor. So when I, I come in and out of asset classes all the time, so just for your um, listeners benefit, I'll just give you an example. So I built another asset that you might have heard of called DirecTV, right? Mm-hmm. And that was, what, back 10 years ago, 2007, and we sold that to AT&T for you know, about $50 million, $50 billion, I'm sorry, 48.5, about 2015. So therefore, that, you know, we're done. I'm just a shareholder of AT&T. It's just generating cash flow. So that was an asset. It was 25 bucks a share. We sold it to 95, so it was on sale, and then we actually sold it. But and I was one of the people who helped build it, as well as real estate when it was on sale and the market, you know, took its nosedive in 2011, 10 or 11. And then I bought mostly everything that I could buy that was on sale up until 2013. There was nothing really more for me to buy mm-hmm. um, in, in value added real estate after 2013. And then um, I just, partnered with Kenny because Kenny is the only guy that knows how to do value added real estate. So after I recycled my money two or three times in two or three years, then I let him recycle my money. Um, 
And so now I am only doing very, very unique deals such as assistant living facilities with another one of my partners that does deals like value add in, in another asset class. Mm-hmm. If, if they're not that way, because I only do value added real estate, I will switch to another asset class. So for example, when oil was a hundred bucks a barrel, then it went down to 30. I'm um, back in 20, what, 16. Then I was in that, that asset class because it was on sale. Yeah. So I'm an equal opportunity lover of all asset classes as long as they're on sale. Yeah. And there's always something on sale. Yeah, exactly. There's always something on sale. So I began um, getting into natural resources and junior mining about two years ago because it's on sale. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I've always gone to the asset class that's on sale because I like to do value, you know, it's, it's just value added stuff for me. It, it, they're all about everything is value added. I don't know anything else. Yeah. Right. I agree. Uh, yeah, we're we're very much in agreement here. And obviously, you know, we met at the junior mining <laughs> conference, so we we probably we're we're of a similar mindset on this. Yeah. So this is good stuff. Now, tell me, you know, you you. Um, started a new show and you you were you know kind enough to have me as a, one of one of your guests uh, while we were out in San Francisco and it's called accredited to accredited tell us about the show what is it why, why are you doing it yeah no I'm super excited about this show um and it is something that I had had in my mind because I realized that a few things right is that you know, what's on television today is not really, well, you know, maybe fake news or whatever, but there's not really a lot of content for people that are accredited, number one. Um, I, I didn't know what an accredited investor was. <laughs> I kind of just stumbled across it, um, you know, as I was investing and I'm like, wow, well, you know, why isn't this like this? Uh, or why is it, why don't I know about this, right? And so that was very difficult, you know, that was just an eye-opening experience. And then um, the other part is that I get a lot of questions about what I do. And so I said, let me answer the questions. And then third is that, or fourth, I was, um, because I invest in so many different asset classes, many people want to know the other one, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, again, it's answering a lot of these questions. And, 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 you know, really deep inside, Buck, to be quite honest with you, I actually, because I, I was responsible for building one of, you know, as a team of building a, a the biggest distribu- TV distribution company in the world, which is DirecTV, even though we didn't ha- own most of the content, we did air it. So I take a little bit of responsibility for dumbing down people, right, with what's on air. <laughs> so this is like a some so sort of mitzvah? Really <laughs> Okay. I am repenting. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, yeah. So all of these reasons, uh, you know, when I kind of retired, which was a few years ago, I did, you know, I was, I'm young, number one. And I like, why, well, what am I going to go do next? And am I going to go do anything? And I said, I have to go, I want to go do something more. 
And the other thing is, too, is, Buck, to be quite honest with you, if you understand the cash flow game, there aren't many things for people in the fast track, right? Mm -hmm. I said, you know, there weren't many things for the people in the fast track. There weren't, I didn't have a lot of people in the fast track. So here in Los Angeles, you know, and I'm all over the world going to the, this, you know, these conferences, I do speak all of, you know, Freedom Fest and a number of different economic conferences. And I said, well, why don't I just create something that's kind of already in alignment with what I'm already doing, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and then also too, I see a lot of these kind of shows and teachers and things of that nature that don't really do anything. They're just teachers. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, oh my God. And, and because of that, um, I also take responsibility because I was a victim of a Ponzi scheme about, you know, 10 years ago. I said, wow, you know, I do deals and I think most people know all of this stuff, but I see that there's so many people that are telling people about stuff, but they're just, they're, it's no different than a professor that's never done anything. Right. Yeah. Or, or, you know, one of the things, uh, that I always kind of crack up about and I don't take any shots at anyone in particular, but you know, it's like people telling other people how to, you know, get wealthy and rich when they didn't, when they're, <laughs> they still, when they're not doing that great themselves. I mean, it's like, you know, who do you want to take advice from? I mean, it's, uh, I don't, I don't want to be a jerk, but that reality is that's one of the things that's sort of kind of what you're saying, right? I mean, how can you teach somebody about wealth Something when, you're, done. when, when yeah. you're, when you're, when you're not really, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I've done pretty well. You've done pretty well. I feel fairly, you know, comfortable, uh, that I, 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 I know something and I can teach somebody and, um, you know, it's, you're right. There is a, that's one of the reasons why I started Wealth Formula Podcast is exactly for that reason is that there is a, a real need for people who have got a track record and who've actually done it and who are living the life that they're talking about to actually teach what they've done. So good for you. What's the, yeah, what's so the, the other part of yeah. that too is, is that um, I was, because I have so many different partners and and advisors and, and all of these, you know, resources, right. That are deals are that, that really do things in every asset class. They're on my show. So yeah. I don't care if it's, you know, mining or natural resources or real estate or private equity or television, be that direct TV. Right. I don't, it's for me, it doesn't really matter the internet of things because I, I, I know all of these people. So we, I, and, and many people don't even know, that this is how it works. So that's why I say it's accredited to accredited. Right. It's not just me. I bring on like people like yourself, right? That are really doing deals. You're not just teacher, you, you know, you don't just have a podcast and you know, I know the podcast is a big, big part of you, but you actually do something. Right. So that's really important to me that everybody on my show is, is, definitely does what it is that they do. I mean, what, what, what they're, what they're teaching, right? I mean, you, yeah, you actually exactly. do what you're teaching, which is helpful right. when you actually know what you're talking about, right? Yeah. But, but you would think that would be a basic requirement. It just doesn't seem to work out that way, but. No, exactly. And I'm, and, and I just said, you know, I'm not used to being in front of the TV or front of the pop, you know, I'm used to make, make money. So um, it's a little, little different for me to do it. Um, it's been fun so far, but 
but I said, you know, I've got to really get out and make sure that people don't get, you know, hurt. Right. Is, is this show pretty new? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It's only, uh-huh. I would say about I, a month old, maybe yeah, okay. less than a month. Yeah. And, and, so and how do people like, find it? Um, they could go to a two a investor, which is the number two, a two a investor.com, or you can go to accredited to accredited.com. Got it. Got it. So and it's a, it's a video format. It's both. It's video. It's all, it's remember I'm a, you know, I'm a video person, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm the one who, who hides behind the podcasting mic uh, myself because I like to be able to edit myself. <laughs> or I like I like my uh, assistant to be able to uh, edit me as I'm video is fumbling hard. around. <laughs> yeah, video is hard. It is. I mean, it, it is. It's hard. It's hard. And I, um, you know, I, I kind of put it off for some time because – it is so hard. And I just said, I can't, I cannot not do video because I'm a direct TV, right? <laughs> yeah, right, I, mean, like, right. I, I, yeah. I created this thing called direct TV. So right, right. It's hard for me. Just, it's like, for me, it was a, 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 um, it didn't, not having video was diametrically opposed to my belief system. Right. right. It's like, going into a Hindu, I don't know how to be a Hindu or Muslim. I'm a Christian. Right, so. right, right, right. It is what it is. Right. I mean, and, um, you know, I think uh, I, I've actually tried to, you know, do a little bit of video. And I even thought about starting to do this um, interview on Skype video, but I just have not been able to get myself to do it. Just I feel, like, I, I feel like I'd have to clean up. I'd have to shave. You know, don't. I, don't. <laughs> I mean, don't. I mean, really, Buck, it is not worth it. Um. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just don't do it. You do not want people seeing you, but yeah, well, no, not because of that. But I don't. I, you you have such great stuff. It slows you down, right? Right. right. Because Absolutely. of all those things you're talking about, right? Uh, it limits your ability to quickly get interviews, and then quickly. It's just much more in, involved, right? Well, it's uh, we're I'm eager to uh, check it out, and uh, hopefully, um, you know, I think a number of people who listen to this show are, you know, who there you know a lot of accredited investors. That's basically who listens to this show. I mean, people who are either accredited or going to be accredited pretty soon. So uh, definitely check out Gina's show. It's accredited to accredited, and uh, Gina, thank you so much for being on Wealth Formula Podcast today. Well, thank you, Buck, and I wish you great success in whatever I could do to help. Let me know. We'll be right back. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back, everyone, and I just uh, hope you enjoyed that show with Gina Loft. And Gina's a real interesting person, and 
definitely check out that uh, that accredited to accredited show. I think it's an interesting format and it may resonate with some of you. So, um, you know, if you're an accredited investor, obviously that's that's really who that for, is for. And as you know, this show for the most part is is sort of geared at high paid professionals. You might be accredited, you may not be, or you may be close, but there's some certainly some parallels there. And Gina knows some things that I don't, and vice versa. So, so definitely check that out. And um, also want to remind you again that there is this webinar uh, on Tuesday, the 19th at 5 p.m. Central Time, American Homeowner Preservation. Uh, this is perfect for the Christmas time, right? Because what do they do? They they uh, American Homeowner Preservation puts, you know, they they keep people in their homes, you know, keeps them from getting foreclosed on, and then you get 12% return uh, in exchange. So it's a great opportunity, great cause, and if you can think of, you know, a way to give back uh, while still getting a return, this is it. Um, I'm in for a six-figure investment on this fund that's coming up that he is going to talk about. Uh, on Tuesday. So again, check that out. Go to wealthformula.com uh, and sign up for the American Homeowner Preservation webinar. Okay. And with that said, I will uh, talk to you next week, uh, hopefully with better sound quality uh, from uh, Montecito instead of Santa Cruz, California. And uh, that's it for me today. It's uh, Buck Joffrey, Wealth Formula Podcast, signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Save You with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.